Welcome to the Unfair Advantage podcast, where we will explore the unique experiences, skills, and abilities high performers bring to bear in their field. In each episode, we will unpack the guest's expertise and insights to help all of us develop our own unfair advantage. Welcome back to the Unfair Advantage podcast. Excited to be joined this evening and this morning by Dr. Stuart Vela. Stu, how are you? Well, thanks, Alex. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm really excited about this conversation. We're going to spend the time talking about psychological safety, which has been a big buzzword and a term that's getting thrown out a lot right now. And so I, I think it's highly relevant. Before we jump into that, though, maybe just tell us a bit about you and the work you're doing. Yeah, sure. It's it's super exciting to talk about psychological safety. I think, as you say, it's a, it's a huge huge buzzword, but it's, it's, I think it's a buzzword for a reason. So it's going to be going to be really exciting. Um, I'm a, I'm an associate professor, um, at the university of Wollongong. Wollongong is a, uh, a coastal city in Australia, about an hour south of, of Sydney, for those that are familiar with Australia. Um, I'm the director of the global Alliance for mental health and sport. Uh, our work kind of spans mostly non-elite, uh, sports, but we have a, a focus on producing uh, and disseminating world's best practice around mental health and sport um, with the ultimate aim of trying to facilitate you know, great mental health outcomes for everyone involved in sports. That's not just, not just athletes, although the focus is primarily on athletes, but we're also interested in facilitating mental health for, for parents, coaches, support staff, uh, and anyone involved in the sports system really. So that's our our work, we, we have a couple of um, kind of primary programs that we run ahead of the game, which is kind of a big uh, mental health literacy and resilience program uh, that's kind of been scaled around the world. Uh, we're currently writing mental health guidelines for, uh, for sport in Australia, for example. So those are kind of some examples of the, the programs that we run uh, to try and meet those aims of facilitating mental health in sport for, for everybody. Well, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I think it's tremendously important. Um, and the, the breadth and scope of what you're taking on is, is awesome. So I appreciate that. Let's, let's jump into psychological safety. Mm. Um, I know you wrote an excellent paper about this not too long ago. Start us off by just telling us what is psychological safety? Yeah, that's the million dollar question, isn't it? And, and, and that's why we ended up writing the paper, Alex, because um, you know, I think psychological safety, certainly in the scientific literature, had a, had a particular definition. Um, but people seem to be using this term more and more. It, you know, it's it's and its usage in sport didn't seem to correspond with what we understood as the the scientific definition. You know, the scientific definition has its roots in organizational psychology and and really is focused on. Um, you know, the, the freedom to take risks without fear of um, punishment, for example. So, you know, you notice that people start using psychological safety in sport and it didn't seem to, to correspond with that definition. Um, you know, you, you have people at the International Society for Sports Psychology, you know, talking about psychological safety in, in elite sport, Olympic and Paralympic sport. and um it, it has connotations around you know the prevention of mental health problems we're talking um you know about pressure resilience these kind of constructs are the things that are coming up when we're talking about psychological safety so 
we we just wanted to to do a bit of a deep dive into you know what exactly is psychological safety in sport we wanted to to define it you know consistent with its usage i think you know that that's really important that we we understand a construct like psychological safety and it's consistent with its its usage in the sports context and so we we kind of examined everything that's out there on psych safety and basically came up with a, what I think is a fairly simple definition, but an, an important one. Um, and that is the, the perception that one is protected from or unlikely to be at risk of psychological harm in sport. And I think, I mean, I, I've seen, and we were talking about this before we jumped on, like you said, the, the wide range of ways people are using this term, and I actually think the original way it was defined, I wanna come back to the definition you landed on in a minute, but the original way it was defined would seem like it has some real parallels in sport to things like motivational climate, um, you know, and having a mastery goal orientation. So I guess I'm curious, like, you know, what you think led to kind of the deviation from the initial train of thought around how it was defined in organizational psych and if there's still a place for that in the broader psych safety discussion in sport. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's come about because of this huge mental health movement in sport. Um, I think that it, it's, its usage has been in conjunction with this focus on, you know, a renewed, maybe renewed is not the best word, you know, it, it, this new kind of focus on mental health in sport, you kind of have over the last decade or so, um, a number of kind of high profile athletes coming out and, and speaking about mental health, which has, you know, I think provided an impetus for a, a focus on athlete mental health. Um, and then you get on the back of that, a whole series of things like position statements from the IOC, for example, or the International Society for Sports Psychology, um, you know, and, and various other organizations providing position statements for, for athlete mental health in sport. Um, and then the, the term psychological safety starts to get used in, in those. And in doing so, kind of um, shifts the focus from a purely kind of, you know, free to take risk to a prevention of mental health problems. You know, psychological safety is, is providing, you know, some sort of um, protection against mental health problems. So this mental health movement, you know, and, and the term being picked up in this movement, I think has just shifted the definition, um, you know, at least as it's used colloquially within sport, um, to one that has more of a focus on mental health. And then your other question there around whether or not the, you know, freedom to take risks without fear of, of punishment or anything like that, absolutely has, has, a, has a place, you know, the, the, there's a, decades of scientific work in you know, not just sport, but many different contexts, such as organizations to show the utility of, of that kind of way of thinking about psychological safety. And yeah, that's super important in sport too, right? We, we want athletes who are given the freedom to, to enact their role um, in ways that may involve some, some risk-taking, right? We want, we want athletes who are willing and feel safe to put up their hand and say, you know what, made a mistake here I'm, I'm sorry guys um and their teammates are okay with that their coach is okay with that you know i think these kind of things are are, are linked to to uh, optimal performance 
so yeah, absolutely. Psych psychological safety is this now in, in this um, place where it, it has connotations around mental health and, and the protection of mental health, prevention of mental health problems, but it has very much also a, a positive aspect to it where, you know, we are, you know, providing positive emotional experiences or the freedom, you know, psychological freedom, all those kind of things. So it's a, it's a, it's a multifaceted term. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to me, when I'm listening to you describe it, like the, the intersection of those two pieces, the freedom to talk about mistakes or failures that, that actually helps with some of the prevention that you're talking about. It helps with creating a space where athletes do feel free from harm. I think, has that been what you've, um, you found? Absolutely. If you, if you bring it back to its core, I mean, that's, I think essentially what we've tried to do here is, is bring it back to its very core and it's, um, the very core of all of this is is being free or unlikely to be at risk of, of psychological harm. And that manifests it itself in a number of different ways. Some of those are, are much more positive in their focus and some of those are, you know, kind of more looking at pre prevention of more negative experiences. But absolutely, you know, being free from psychological harm has both positive and negative elements to it. So let's, let's dive a bit deeper now. So I guess, tell me what it would look like, right? If I walked into a psychologically safe environment in, in sport, what would I be seeing from the key stakeholders in that environment? Yeah, that's a, that's a really important, important question. You know, what does it look like on, on the ground? If, if, you know, if you're, you're an athlete, I think the first thing to say is on that point, it's, it's not just, you know, psychological safety is not just for athletes in, in, in my opinion. Um, you look at things like referees or, or officials and, and this focus on an exodus of, of, you know, youth sport officials from, from youth sport, for example, it's, you know, you kind of think of these environments, psychological safe for the, psychologically safe for them, coaches, support staff, you know, it, 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 psychological safety is for everyone. And so then, what does that what does that look like well i think that that depends in in part on whether or not we want to put the focus on on mental health and the prevention of mental health problems or we want to put the focus on more positive aspects some of those things are going to be overlapping so for example great coaching it's, it's an intuitive one right you know good quality coaching coaches who develop great coach athlete relationships coaches who have an appropriate focus so um, that's not to say that they shouldn't focus on winning, but you know, are they focused also on on other things? Where do they put their emphasis? Are they caring for the athlete as a as an individual as well as a performer? Um, so you know, the, those kind of things are going to be key to to both um, the pr promotion the promotion of mental health and prevention of mental health problems, as well as more uh, positive aspects like the freedom to to take risks. If you look at mental health. Um, stuff that, you know, there's a whole range of, of things out there that will promote psychological safety. It's, you know, do you have a, a mental health um, action plan that might include how, how we're going to respond, you know, for, for someone who might be experiencing a mental health crisis, how we're going to respond if there's a, um, a critical incident, you know, for example, like a, like a death or, or something like that. Um, do we have um, accessible qualified mental health help? For example, that, that, that might be another one. 
um, what are we doing to promote positive attitudes to, to mental health and decreasing the stigma so that people feel free to, to come forward with um, any kind of mental health issues that they might have? Um, do we have dedicated mental health officers or staff within, within the club? What are we doing to actively promote well-being, for example? Um, you know, do we have a focus on you know, positive social interactions amongst the group? You know? um, whatever else it might be, giving them some, some purpose outside of sports. And, you know, are we offering them opportunities to contribute to, the, to their society? All of these things kind of can, can contribute to the promotion of mental health and prevention of mental health problems. Um, so that's kind of, you know, 30 second overview of all of the, all of the things. If you want to dig deeper into any of those, let, let's do it. But, um, you know, at a high level, those are the kind of things that we're thinking about to, to promote psychological safety in sport. You've said a number of things that I think are, are critical and, and a few jump out to me. So, so one is I love the emphasis on psych safety for, for everyone. I, I mean, I think, the last stat I looked at, it was something, you know, around 70% of, of people broadly have some element of their mental health impacted by work. And to assume that coaches or sports people would be somehow exempt from that because they're around a game or doing something fun, you know, or supposed to be fun, I, I think, you know, miss, misses the boat. And so I think that's really important. You also talked about the coach being critical in the creation of psych safety and emphasizing things beyond winning. And I know there's even data around serial winning coaches is the line of research I've seen where they, they talk about the characteristics of coaches who have won repeatedly at several levels and winning is part of it, but it's almost never the sole focus. And yet that is sort of perpetuated down the line in sport. And so maybe we can double back there and double down there. What, when you're thinking of a coach who's creating psychological safety, how do you balance the perceived pressure to win with an appropriate healthy focus on other dimensions of the athlete experience? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, to me, it's, it's about what, where is the emphasis? Um, you know, we're not going to take winning out of sport and no one is saying at all that winning should not be a focus that that's the very point of the game right is to score you know you're involved in in basketball the, the, the whole point of basketball is to score more points than the opposition um we're not going to extract winning from from that but there's a there's a way of of, of going about it you know a lot of it is very intangible but it's it's to on what do you put your focus and how do you scaffold the demands that you're placing on on athletes so there's nothing wrong with with having really high expectations of of athletes there's nothing wrong with um kind of saying that we need to perform um but it's it's how do you scaffold that what support is in place and this is where um this you know the original definition freedom to take risks i think is is really important so it's about setting a culture where okay we want to win but we're giving athletes for example autonomy um we're giving them autonomy in in in, in role freedom and you know this is your role you go and do it however you want you know you try and perform your role as best you can you have a role on the team 
you know, in certain situations, you're going to have to be in this position or in that position. And, and we want you to, you know, play your part, but you've got the freedom to do it how you want it. And if you don't do it, okay, that's not what we wanted, but that's okay. Um, and so a, a lot of this is, is about you know, those aspects around creating an environment where it's, it's, it's okay to fail. And I think that can coexist with high performance expectations. So it's, 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 it's about balancing those and, and where you put your emphasis. Yeah, I get asked that question a lot. I've been, it feels like several times at conferences or, or different events in the last year, you know, this balance between protecting mental health and also creating a culture that focuses on, on winning as though like the two couldn't coexist. And to me, it's always been sort of hard to imagine the way people connect dots from like break them down to build them up as though that would be a good way to to get people engaged in sport or like that was some goal of youth sport um, or the idea that you know fear is like this really great long-term motivator you know it just totally misses all the data that we have that suggests you know like autonomy supportive behaviors like you mentioned you know fostering relatedness and, and competence like those things are what drive kids to participate in sport healthily. That's what sustains athletes in the professional space, you know? So there's, there's just so much here that I feel like is, is misunderstood. And so I guess I wanna flip that back to you broadly, like outside of psych safety for a moment here. If someone asks you, you know, how do you both kind of support and encourage mental health um, and safety and support and also encourage winning and and the outcome emphasis here in sport i I think one of the things that you said um at the start there alex is key i I think the biggest misconception here is that it's one or the other it's it's winning or protecting mental health Um, i think we have some great examples of of um dual goal coaches that that have been super successful i mean you know the, the one that comes immediately to mind for me and one that you'll be familiar with is, is John Wooden. Um, you know, it's the, the, the path to optimal performance is not at the expense of athlete mental health. It's the, the, the path to optimal performance is through psychologically healthy athletes who are motivated, who are engaged, who have autonomy, um, have strong relationships with their with their peers, you know, with their teammates. Um, this is the you know, in my mind, this is the path to to optimal performance, and it, it's certainly not. It's a, it's a, it's a complete misconception that winning has to come at the expense of of mental health. Um, so you know, you, you mentioned you know things like autonomy um, are important. You know, we've got to give athletes a, a sense that. Of, of ownership over their environment. We have to give them some, some choice in, in what they're doing. Um, we have to give them freedom to enact their role, you know, as, as they see, as they see, you know, best. Um, positive social connections, you know, positive relationships, positive coach athlete relationships, you know, great group cohesion. Um, they're also really important. Uh, and so, you know, these kind of things are, are not, um, not the antithesis of, of high performance that they are, you know, high performance because 
we're providing a, a psychological environment that is healthy, that is, you know, a great psychological environment. You think of things like, you know, if you break coaching down into its most basic elements, you, you should at least in part be a teacher, right? So you, you have to impart skills, you have to, you know, um, at an individual level, but then also performance skills at a, at a team level. Um, but, you know, having a focus on teaching enables a coach to, to focus on individuals, individual needs, tailoring their coaching to individuals. And that in and of itself makes the individuals feel, um, you know, heard, makes them feel like the coach cares. Um, it makes them motivated. And so these things, in my mind, are, are pathways to both you know, a psychologically healthy environment, a psychologically safe environment, and optimal performance. And they are by no means mutually exclusive. I couldn't agree more. And, and I love your, your point on teaching. And I think it speaks to a lot of what the psych safety research is sort of suggesting. Like on the other side of that teaching experience, the user experience is learning. And so creating a psychologically safe environment is going to facilitate the learning of whatever it is you're trying to impart to your athletes, you know, and if you take that away for whatever reason, control, fear, punishment, like all old school coaching techniques that we've seen, right? There's a lot of stuff out there. Um, I think it, it sort of directly undermines what coaches are actually trying to accomplish. And I think for a lot of coaches, what got them into the profession in the first place was the opportunity to really connect, build skills and help these athletes become better people. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that element of psychological safety is key to both teaching and learning. And if you think of um, learning as, as a process of trying to do things better, you know, trying to acquire skills that you don't have, uh, failure, for example, is, is inevitable. And if we're, you know, if we're putting pressure on, on athletes to, to perform. Um, if we're, you know, emphasizing winning above everything else, then what we get inevitably is athletes who withdraw into being very risk averse. Um, and being risk averse is not conducive to learning. Um, if I'm not going to try new ways of trying to achieve whatever it is I'm trying to achieve, you know, I'm not going to try a new technique, I'm not going to try a new method, I'm not going to just try something new. I'm unlikely to learn. And so what I want to do as an athlete and what I want to do as a coach is get athletes who are going to try new things and figure out better ways of doing things, always learning, always learning. And so we've got to give that, that freedom. Um, and that's where psychological safety comes in as a really important component of, of learning, teaching and performance. For sure. And, and the performance piece I think is, is highly relevant too. I mean, we're talking a lot about teaching and learning and I, I think that's, you know, the core of practice and honestly, where we spend most of our time in sport, right? We spend a lot more time in practice and engaging in skill building than we do in competition. But I think it's important to emphasize your, your point about risk taking. Taking risks is also facilitative of performing better. I mean, if you imagine the behavioral consequences of feeling risk averse, like your repertoire of what you're willing to draw on to execute your skill is going to shrink a lot if you're worried about being scolded or punished or whatever it might be. And that, that does sort of put the clamps on an athlete who ultimately, you know, I think most coaches and, and sports psychologists and people in the sports space kind of intuitively get like the freer the athlete feels to go out and perform their best, the, the better this is going to be. I'm curious, you know, from the research you've done, 
what do you think drives some of the behavior that undermines psychological safety? I think this is where we get this misunderstanding. It's very easy to, to say that an overemphasis on winning um, creates a psychologically unsafe environment. Um, and that's because, you know, we can, we can bring to mind examples of, of coaches that have engaged in you know, less than ideal behaviors because they want to win, you know, putting pressure, stress, anxiety on, on athletes burnout. Um, you know, I think that's a, that's a fairly intuitive, um, way of, of conceptualizing, you know, what makes something psychologically unsafe, but there are a whole range of other things as, as well. Um, you know, we, we've, we've touched on coaches, so we can put that aside, but it's, it's about how then do we support everyone within that organization? You know, athletes often have support staff around them. Um, are those, are those support staff adequate? You know, what about the training regimes? Are they, are they adequate or are they kind of overly taxing? Um, you know, what support do we have in place though for, for coaches themselves or for the support staff themselves? Um, so we have to look at the support that's being provided to, to everyone within the organization you know, in, in addition to, to athletes. Um, we have to think about the, the climate that's set. And often that can be set from, you know, it, it's not always set by the coach. I mean, you can name many examples of sports organizations that, that the culture prevails coach after coach after coach. And so these things can be set high level, you know, at an organizational level. So we have to look at the culture that we're setting within an organization and how that dictates everything that flows down from, from that, you know, um, what incent what what incentives are we giving to coaches and how do those incentives influence coaching behaviors you know i think if we look at how we're incentivizing coaches at an organizational level what what are they what are they you know what are they being incentivized to do is it winning championships is it is it um you know focusing on athlete development what this is this is the kind of cultural things that you know i tried to give a tangible example here of what what that culture might look like at an organizational level and that that being how we incentivize coaches, but it, that's not the only one. Um, it's how we how we provide you know, support for everyone in the organization. It's about how do we talk um, within our organization? Are, are we are we able to talk openly about mental health? Are we able to talk openly about poor performance? How do we react as an organization to to those you know kind of either a, a loss? Um, how do we react to when someone comes and tells us that they're struggling with something? These are kind of you know, cultural things at, at an organizational level. And I think, you know, there's probably not enough focus in my mind on, on things stemming from the top. I, I agree. And I think there's, I mean, so much we could dive, dive into here, but I think the cultural pieces, language, behaviors that we endorse or don't endorse, um, you know, all of those, I think really they do send the loudest signal about what's what's really allowed here and what's accepted here. And I've I've been thinking about two pieces that I, I think are related to this. And so I'll let you take us whichever way you want to take us. But piece one is, as I've started to wrap my mind around what sports cultures are attempting to do with their values and, and what they're trying to foster, 
to me, I think family becomes like a shortcut value culture word for trying to create psych safety. I think related to that is this idea that psych safety means we don't say hard things. And so there's almost this fear of, of the actual truth because we're worried that that truth is gonna somehow you know, deeply harm someone versus like approaching the truth as a mechanism for actually seeing more clearly in this, like acting better, right? Like performing better, learning better. I'm curious what your take is on either or both of those things from your lens. Or you could tell me I'm barking up the wrong tree and, and that would be fine too. So I, I think um, to, take, to take the second one um, first, just it's again, it's, it's a misconception to think that um, we should never have any negative emotions. Um, we should avoid all negative emotions in order to promote psychological safety. So we shouldn't have difficult conversations or we shouldn't have, um, we shouldn't tell people that their, their performance wasn't at the level that we expect. It gets, you know, hard to prescribe universal laws here, but it's, it, it's around the delivery, but it's, it's not just around the delivery. It's, it's, it's the whole ecosystem that we've set up. I mean, we, again, we come back to this organizational culture of which the coach is a major part, but not the entire system. It's, a, it's an organizational culture that sets up the freedom to have these conversations. Um, we, sh we shouldn't avoid them. In, in, in a lot of cases, these kind of conversations are critical to teaching and learning. Um, you know, it, it's, it's very difficult to understand how we can avoid these conversations. And so it's about the delivery, but yes, it's about the, it's about the appropriate delivery of, of this feedback or having the, the appropriate delivery of these conversations within a system, an organizational system, an organizational culture that is supportive, um, you know, that is um, open, that is transparent, and that lives out its values. And that brings us to the first point, you know, this, this notion of, of family as a, as a value and potentially as a, as a kind of a equivalent to, to psychological safety. And certainly you kind of think through what does, what does family mean? You know, it means that we're, we're together no matter what. It, it, it means that we, we care for each other. We look out for each other. You know, if I, I think of my family, you want, to, you want the best for them in all circumstances and situations. Um, it's, it's certainly not a, the equivalent of, of psych safety. Um, my impression is that, that it's, you know, it, it, it's a neat analogy. It kind of captures many, many things, but it's certainly not a, a equivalent. You know, there are certainly families that, that don't have high levels of psych safety within them. So it's, it's something that's, you know, probably trying to tap into some things that are either the antecedents, you know, the, the causes of psychological safety or the consequences of psychological safety, which are a feeling of, of belongingness together, a, futural, a, a, a feeling of mutual respect and ad admiration. These are the desired outcomes. These are things which may also be inputs into psychological safety, but they're not the same thing. And what you're sharing now is related to one of the discussions we've had with Dr. Chris Weiss at, at Georgia Tech, who talked a bit about 
the ways that people try to create the environment, you know, sometimes we try to find these shortcuts like you're describing. That's how I hear kind of family, right? It's a shortcut or a proxy for some of these antecedents you're talking about and what really has to happen to, to create this environment. So let's get practical for a minute. Suppose someone's listening to you right now and they're like, great, this is awesome. This is the direction I'd love to take our, our culture what, what can people do starting tomorrow to make their environment psychologically safer? That's a great question. So again, I'm going to start from the top here, Alex, and say, well, what, what, are, your, what are your values? What's your mission statement? What are you trying to achieve here? And then having a really good, critical look at, at your organization and think through, do we live out? those values do they play themselves out in the the contracts we're giving do they play themselves out in where we spend you know organizational resources so i think it comes from the top and i'm, I'm very very big on you know organizational um culture i'm very big on these these um psychological safety coming from the culture that's set from the very top and again, it's because in, in my mind, we see, you know, coaches, I think it's intuitive to think that coaches set, set the culture and in large part they, they do, but you see coaches come and go in various organizations and, and cultures remain. And so um, it comes from the top in, in my mind. So tangible things, you know, okay, what, what's your value? What are your values? Um, what's your mission statement? What are you actually trying to achieve here? Um, and then how does that play out? I think, you know, the ability for an organization to reflect both formally and informally on their values and how they, how they play out in terms of what, what do we talk about? Where do we spend our money? Um, who do we employ? Uh, what type of people do we employ? How do we write a job description when we're seeking out a coach or a sports psych or you know, what kind of athlete are we going to recruit? Um, these things need to be connected to an organizational culture, an organizational policy, an organizational mission statement. So for me, that's, that's where, it, where it starts. And then obviously you have it, you know, the coach is a big part. I'm not saying the coach is not a big part. The coach is a big part. The coach has the day-to-day -day interactions, right? The coach sets where, where, where is the emphasis, you know, um, is, is it on winning or, you know, am I, am I also kind of focused on learning, teaching? Of a folk, am I giving autonomy? Am I giving the athlete some say, you know, over there, over what's happening? Or am I going to be completely controlling, you know, and, and those kind of things. So um, it's, you know, coaching, coaching behaviors are, are important. Um, but I would say first, get your own house in order. That's great advice, not only for sport, but for several other areas of life too. <laughs> yeah, the, the last piece I want to touch on here, because I think it's, it's an overlooked maybe, but a critical part of this is how do people actually speak up? You know, when something isn't right or something's undermining, you know, the culture we're trying to create. That, that to me, I think is a starting point for making things better, but it's also incredibly challenging. So- Absolutely. Yeah, what what are your thoughts on that? It looks like I got you. I got you thinking about it already. <laughs> you know, I, I I was I was thinking about it because I, I don't want to be a broken record, but it's it, it again comes comes from the top. You know, it's it's about 
I think you said it earlier um, in our conversation, but what do we accept? What behaviors do we accept and what don't we accept? What do we endorse and what don't we endorse? Um, it, it's very difficult for an athlete. Let's, let's say, let's say it's an athlete who, who wants to come forward and, you know, potentially he or she, um, is not happy with something that's happening, um, is, is feeling like, you know, they're psychologically harmed, you know, they're, they're feeling some, some stress, some anxiety, they're starting to get some, you know, negative kind of, um, experiences here and they want to say something it's you know the, the tangible things are do they have do they have someone they can go to do they know who that is is that person accessible does that is that person going to maintain confidentiality um, can they do that without putting their their contract or their career in in jeopardy or, or their place on the starting team these are the questions that an athlete's going to ask themselves if they need to, if they want to come forward and speak about something. And so in some circumstances that might be, you know, a really open and honest coach. Can I come, you know, with a problem within the organization? Can I come to the coach? You know, for some athletes that will be the case and for some it, it won't be. Um, if it's got to do more broadly with the, the, the culture or the organization or even the coaching, you know, where do they go? Is there, again, is there an appropriate, a qualified and accessible person that they can go to 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 raise something like this and, and get some help with some assurance around confidentiality. So those are the questions that I, I would be asking around speaking up. And these these are really important issues and they're often you know very very delicate. We we want athletes to speak up um, but there are a whole range of um, issues that un underpin whether or not they can and whether or not they feel safe to to do that um of, of which most of you know I've, I've mentioned some so so last question to kind of round us out here if, if you were gonna you know sort of give people either more resources to go look for or discussions to have to sort of like kick off a sense of where, where are we in this process of creating a psychologically safe team? What might you recommend? That's a great question. Um, I think the, the, the concept of psychological safety itself is, is very immature, um, Alex, at least in the, in the sports space. And so I think, you know, nothing comes to mind, you know, off the top of my head, what do we do in terms of promoting psychological safety? At the, at the moment, I think the, the best things we have, are there, there are, you know, there are very well established ways of, of working in terms of providing, uh, promoting mental health and preventing mental health problems. The IOC has a consensus statement, International Sports, um, International Society for Sports Psychology has a statement um, that there are many, many um, position statements out there that offer um, fairly concise um, ways of working, you know, recommendations or guidance to promote mental health and prevent mental health problems. So, it, you know, in the absence of a, 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 a mature psych safety literature and resources i think what we have available at the moment um is is a is a is a wealth 
and a, a very quickly expanding set of resources around mental health promotion. And so that is going to be at the very least a, a good place to start. As I said, there are consensus statements, but there are um, lots of other resources available around, you know, it, it might be, um, for example, mental health literacy training or mental health first aid. So kind of basic training for for coaches, for key stakeholders. So that might be people in charge of the organization, you know, people on the committee, you know, who take up key roles um, for, for athletes, for parents in, in non-elite sports. Um, there's training around, you know, I said mental health literacy or mental health first aid, but what that just means is training around, well, what are the warning signs of, of mental health problems? How do I recognize them? How do I start a conversation about that? Um, how do I ask for help if I'm not feeling well? Um, and then what's an appropriate avenue of, of help? So those kind of resources are available. They're, they're fairly readily available at, at this point. Um, you know, I would say if you're going to go for something like that, the, the things that you want to look for are um, that there's evidence underpinning these, these programs. And there are many evidence-based programs. Um, we, we've had a couple of fairly high profile um, examples here where some, some psychological harm has been done through um, these programs because they're not, um, they're not run by qualified people. Um, so you want to look for an evidence base and that evidence should include that number one, it does no harm. And number two, that it's effective in, in kind of um, getting the outcomes it, it desires. Um, and then it should be run by, by qualified personnel. Uh, so they're the, they're the kind of big things, evidence base and, and qualified um, deliverers that I would be looking for in terms of the resources here, if you wanted to increase something like mental health first aid or mental health literacy um, capability within your organization. Uh, so that there, that's where I would start. I know it's a, you know, not, not the ideal in terms of psych safety, but it's a pretty darn good place to start. Darn good place to start is good enough for me. Stu, this has been awesome. Before we close out, can you tell us where, where people can find you and learn a bit more about your work? Yeah, sure. So as I said, I'm, I'm the director of the Global Alliance for Mental Health and Sport at, at the University of Wollongong. Um, you can get me uh, through the university's uh, website. Um, also, we have a, a, a big, the, the first international mental health and sport conference at Wollongong. It's a great uh, coastal city in, in Australia, as I said, just south of Sydney, 23rd to the 25th of November, the International Mental Health and Sport Conference. So um, I'll be there. Uh, it'd be great to, to see you there. I think we, um, you know, this is all part of our, our mission to produce and disseminate world's best practice in, in mental health and sport. And so if you're interested in that, I think you could uh, do, do worse than getting to Wollongong from 23 to 25 November. Awesome. Well, give a lot of people a good break from winter and, and get down to sunny Australia. I love it. Stu, yeah. thank Absolutely. you so much for the time. Absolutely fantastic conversation and, and great learning on psych safety. And I'm sure we'll, we'll bring you back to discuss more. Thanks so much. Thanks, Alex. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Unfair Advantage podcast. You can learn more about the work we're doing helping high performers develop their own unfair advantage at our substack at unfair 
adv.substack.com.